0: Good morning, church. Try that again. Good morning, church. Glad you are here this morning. And uh, if you're new here, it's your first time here. My name is Doug, and I'm the East Campus Pastor, and we're delighted that you are here this morning. Today, we're going to continue in our series called Prayer Unleashed, because we believe that when we pray, when we seek God, when we honestly go to Him with everything in us and pursue Him, that God will unleash something in us. He'll unleash His power in our hearts, and in our lives. In fact, last week we ended the service giving us an opportunity to say what prayer Things are on your heart, and over here, I just want you to notice because for the next six weeks, this board is going to be up. In fact, we'll keep it up a little bit longer than that. But on the on your right, uh, there is a it says prayer request. And so tonight, today, today at the invitation at the end of the service, or even before you come in, the services on Sunday mornings, if there's some things that are that are deep on your heart, we want you to write those requests down. You don't have to sign them. Don't name any names. Just put them on the board. We want to pray for those. And at the end of the service, or even during the time of invitation, if you want to come to the board and see what's on there, and just voice those prayer requests to God. That'd be incredible. Because what we want to do is this. If you put something on that board and God answers that prayer, we want you to move it from the prayer request to the prayer answered board so we can celebrate that what we just sang about a while ago is true, that God is in control. If you believe that this morning, say amen. Amen. He's on his throne and he's in control. So we want to celebrate that. So just remember to do that over the next few weeks. Now, as we continue in this series, one thing I said out of the beginning was this. As that prayer... Is something that's essential in the life of a believer. It is our lifeline to Almighty God. However, for many of us, it's the most underutilized discipline in our lives. Now, I'm not talking about before your meal. I'm talking about like a real time that you've carved out and you pray. Now, some of you would say, well, Pastor Doug, wait a minute. I don't know how to pray. Well, yes, you do. Do you know how to talk? You know how to talk. Anybody not know how to talk? You know how to talk, right? You voice what's in your heart when you're talking. And sometimes some people are like, could you just kind of keep that to yourself, right? But God, is not that way. You have the privilege of voicing what's on your heart because guess what? God already knows it. And so you just talk to your heavenly father and that's how you pray. So prayer is our lifeline. But for many of us, it is the most underutilized tool that we have and discipline that we have. So last week we said, if that is true, how do we motivate ourselves To pray, how do we motivate to cling to this lifeline? And so we started by asking this question, well, maybe we need to find out why we pray. Why do we pray? And we said from Philippians chapter 4, there are three reasons we pray. Number one, we pray because prayer demonstrates our dependence on God. When I pray, I'm saying, God, I'm not informing you of what's going on. You already know that. But God, I'm praying because I want to involve you in what's going on. I'm inviting you into my story because I need you, right? So that's one reason. Another reason we pray is because prayer aligns our hearts with God's heart, right? See, when I pray, I'm not praying to change God's mind, I'm praying to change whose mind? Mine. Now some of you are like, well, that's not how I pray. Well, you're praying wrong, right? Because when we pray, does God know everything? Does God control of everything? Does God have a plan for everything? Yes. So when we pray, our prayer should be not God change your mind, but God change my heart. God change my mind and align my heart to your heart. And the last reason we pray is it says in Philippians chapter four, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. That prayer is a key ingredient in helping us deal with anxiety. And one reason we pray is to guard against any anxious thoughts. So we now know why we should pray. And so for the next four or five weeks, what I wanna talk about is what are the, the kinds of prayers that we should pray. What are the kinds of prayers that we should pray? And today we're going to talk about the first kind of prayer, and that's the prayer of surrender. The prayer of surrender. Now, when you and I pray, hopefully our prayers are seeking God's will, God's way, God's plan, and we're seeking those things. But here's what I know about me that's probably true about you. If I am seeking God's will and God's plans and God's ways, guess who I'm not seeking the plans of? Myself. So if I'm going to seek God's will and God's plans and God's ways, that means I've got to surrender some things in my life. So I'm seeking what he wants, not what Doug wants. And the same thing is true with you. So I want to look at a passage today, Psalm chapter 37. You have your Bibles, Psalms chapter 37. And you know when you read the book of Psalms, some of the Psalms are songs. Some of the Psalms are prayers. This particular Psalm is neither of those. But in this psalm, we're going to find out some things that you and I need to surrender if we're going to build intimacy with our Heavenly Father. So if you have your Bible, Psalms 37, I want to read the first nine verses, and I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of reading God's Word. Stand with me if you would. Psalms chapter 37, verse 1 says this, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell on the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will what? He will what? Give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be Some of you didn't hear that this morning. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries our evil devices. Refrain from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, for the evildoers will cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. Let's pray. God, we love you. I thank you for this passage today, God. There is so much here. Would you just help us see your truth in this, Lord? May I step out of the way, and may your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts today. It's in your prayer precious son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, when you look at this passage, I want you to notice something out of the gate. Because when you read scripture, like sometimes you need to know this and maybe you don't know this, but when you read scripture, you need to kind of look at like when you read a book or you read a chapter in a book and your teacher goes, what was the main theme of the chapter? You kind of have an idea, right? If you want to know what is the the nucleus to these first nine verses, the answer is it's verse nine. Because in verse nine, he says, those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. So the nucleus of this whole nine verses is that as those who love God. And in fact, in this case, he's talking to Israel, the nation of Israel. For those of us who love God, we need to wait on the Lord. How many of you like waiting? Anybody? Mm-hmm. Levi? I don't believe you, Levi. <laughs> How many of you get impatient at the stoplight? How do you get as close as you possibly can without nudging the person? And if they don't take off as soon as the light hits, kind of that almost green, you start honking the horn. Start hon- uh, is that anybody do that? Okay, you're the people behind me most of the time, right? And so, so you, we, don't, we don't like waiting, do we? Because when we see what we think ought to be done, what do we want to do? Get after it. And the whole premise of what he says in these first nine verses is the idea of we need to learn to wait on the Lord. And if we wait, here's what that means. Waiting requires surrender. And in this passage, there's four things that I believe that the Lord lays out that we need to surrender. And the first one's found in verse 1 and 2. Fret not yourself because of the evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. The first thing that you and I have to be willing to surrender if we're going to build intimacy with God is our grief. We've got to be willing to surrender our grief. Did you pick up on the first thing he said there? Do not what? Fret. Do not fret. This word in the original Hebrew language does not mean, hey, don't be a little bit bothered. It means to be deeply troubled. It means to be filled with a deep level of grief. Now, in context, why were Israel fretting? Because Israel was fretting because they were trying to follow God at this particular time, and all they saw was that the people that didn't honor God, didn't love God, they're the ones succeeding, kind of like we talked about about five weeks ago in Psalm 73. They looked around them and said, all the wicked and the evildoers, man, they seem to be doing pretty good. They seem to be successful, they seem to be prospering, and there was a part of them that goes, okay, God, we're living for you, and they began to become deeply troubled by what they thought they were supposed to do and was right but what they saw in the world. In fact, when they looked around them, what they felt was injustice. God, we're living for you. They're prospering. God, we're living for you, but they are the ones succeeding. He says, listen, I don't want you to, fret. listen, when you look around you and you see the injustices in the world around you, and let's be honest, do we see injustices in the world around us? Come on, church, do you see those things? Yes. Is it easy to become fretful? Is it easy to let those things bother us at a deep level and trouble us to the point of grief in our soul? Yes is the answer. He said, Listen, don't be fretful. Now, is that easier said than done? Yeah. But look what he says next. I love this. He said, don't be be fretful. He says, be not envious. Be not envious. It's an idea that with us, and here's why he kind of says it second, is because when you and I become troubled by what we see, when we become deeply grieved by looking at the world around us and it seems like those who hate the Lord are the succeeding and those who love the Lord are being punished in trouble, there's a part of us that can become what? Envious. And envy shows up in a couple of ways. He says in the passage here, one way envy shows up, he says, do not be envious Uh, He said, do not fret yourself with evildoers. Do not be envious of the wrongdoers. There's a couple ways envy shows up. One way it shows up is this. We want what they have, right? Anybody ever coveted something somebody else had? They had that awesome house, that awesome truck, that awesome whatever, dog, whatever it was, and you're like, man, I wish I had what they had. Anybody felt that way? Sure we have. All of us have. Maybe not this quarter of the room, but we all felt that way, right? We've all felt that kind of envy. But you know how else envy shows up? Not only do I want what they have, envy also says this, I wish they didn't have what they had. So rather than them succeeding, I wish they were in pain. Then you go, Doug, I would never say that. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. When we desire what they have, or we wish they don't have it, that's envy. And that's exactly the heartbeat. So when you think about it, what God says, listen to Israel and listen to us. If we are going to live a life and building intimacy with them, we've got to surrender our grief. We've got to look at the world around us. And when we see injustice, don't become fretful. Don't let it bother you and trouble you deeply. Don't let it lead you to a place of grief. Don't envy what they have. So the question I always have, because I'm a question guy, why not be fretful? Why not be envious? Well, look what he says here in verse 2. For they will soon what? What's the next word? For they will soon what? Fade. Fade. Why not be fretful? Why not be envious? Listen, hear, hear me. Because what you think they have is going to wither away. You think they have happiness? It's short term. You think they have success? It's fleeting. You think that I have not punished and dealt with them? it's coming. I can tell you not to be fretful. I can tell you not to be grieved by what you see. I can tell you not to desire what they have versus what you have. I can tell you that. Why? Because what they have and what they're experiencing is short-lived. So don't be fretful. Don't be envious of what other people have. Now, I want you to notice something about us. When you and I, when we ourselves are deeply troubled, when we are grieved by what we see in the world around us, hear me on this, when we are deeply troubled and we're agreed by what we see in the world, we diminish God's provision in our lives. See, when I look around me and I go, Dad gummit those people over there, they don't love God. They don't care about the things of God. And they're the ones succeeding. They're the ones that are, they're the ones that look to be blessed or that person, they got the promotion, that person, they got this or whatever it is. And you look at the world around you and you get a little bothered by that. Listen, when we decide that we're going to be so deeply bothered to the point of grief by what we see in the world, I'm not talking about brokenness for lost people. I'm talking about grief because other people are succeeding, and maybe you are not. And we get to the place where we're like, we're envious of what they have. We begin to diminish how God has provided for us. Has God provided for you? Only heard one answer on that one. Did you pay your bills this month? Not yet. But can you pay your bills this month, right? Do you have breath in your lungs this morning? Did you have a way to make it here today? See, I know that seems so trivial, that seems so silly, that seems so whatever, but at the end of the day, you can back up and go, listen, despite what I see in the world, here's the declaration I can make. God is my provider. And when I'm so driven by letting myself be so grieved by the injustices in my own mind of what I see, and I become envious of those things, I am diminishing what God has done in my life. It's like I remember when I was in uh, St. Louis. And I was a youth pastor there. And it was a church in, in Ellisville, Missouri. And it was a very affluent area. And I remember that it was interesting sometimes. Because when kids turned 16. Some parents got in the competition mode. And so I had this white, beat-up Nissan pickup. I mean, I really did. It was, was beat-up. And the reason it was beat-up is because in the move, they put it in the diesel truck to move it, and they packed all my stuff on it, in it, and around it, and it had dents all over the place. And so I remember one Wednesday I was driving there, and two girls had turned 16. And one shows up in a Porsche, brands a new, and the other girl shows up in like a Honda Civic. Now, what do you think the Honda Civic girl was thinking about the Porsche girl? Do you think there was a moment where maybe she wasn't as grateful as she should have been? Because, look, her parents bought her car, I mean, and when you turn 16, isn't it nice that your parents step on a limb and buy you something, pay for your insurance, you know, take care of your cell service Isn't that a good thing, students? Isn't that a great thing, students? This is a chance to show your parents' gratitude, right? So it's a, it's a great thing. But what if that girl who had the Honda Civic, who's an incredible young lady, what if she would got so upset because her parents couldn't afford the Porsche? I mean, would that have been like, hey, kicking a gift horse in the mouth? Don't we do the same thing, though? When I look at all the injustice of the world, I look how I think God is working and blessing everybody else, and I become envious of what they have. Maybe you look at somebody and go, man, I wish I had that marriage. Listen, all marriages are broken. I'm just telling you. Or I wish I could parent like they do. No, every parent screws up. I'm just telling you. And you wish you had what they have. Are you not diminishing the provision that God has already given you? And another thing is, when we let ourselves get so grieved, when we get to the place where we are, like, envious of things, we also not only diminish God's provision for our lives, well, but we begin to ignore that God has a plan. And he's on the throne. Hey, listen, I know when life happens to us, we don't understand it all, do we? Does everything make sense? Do you have clarity on everything that happens around you? But I know one who does. I know one who's taking the puzzle pieces of this world, and he is placing them exactly where he wants them. And when I let myself get so filled with grief that I become envious of what everybody else has or what everybody else has got going on, I know I diminish how God provides for me, but now I'm forgetting that God does have a plan and that he's on his throne. And so I just want to tell you this morning, if we're going to build intimacy with the Lord One prayer that we must have is we must pray and surrender our grief. Now I know for a lot of you in the room today, your grief is not based on what others have. Your grief is based on hurt possibly, loss possibly, discouragement possibly. But we need to make sure that we surrender our grief to the Lord. Do you think if he's big enough to show to your salvation that he can handle your grief? Come on, do you believe that? I do. And some of you this morning, when we get to that time of invitation, in fact, you might just need to tune out everything else I'm about to say because you need to surrender your grief this morning. So number one, we need to surrender our grief. Number two is found, the second thing we need to surrender is found in verse 3 and 4. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend the faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The second thing that we need to surrender is not only our grief, we need to surrender our doubts. we got to surrender our doubts, right? We've got to surrender. Because here's the thing about doubts, is when you think about it, when we consider doubts, if you, if you really understood doubts, doubts is the greatest hindrance to trusting God, isn't it? We talk about trusting God a lot, but what is the greatest enemy to trusting God is doubts. Now, do you remember there was a guy in Scripture that came to Jesus, and he said it best. He said, Jesus, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. You ever felt that way? He's like, hey, Jesus, I trust you, but I got some questions. I got some doubts. I've got some uncertainties. Can you resonate with that with this morning? Can we say out of one side of our mouth, Jesus, I trust you, but on the other side, go, hey, I've got some real doubts. I've got some questions. I've got some uncertainties. And some of us today, our heart is heavy with doubts. But look what the Lord says, rather than doubting, here's what he says, rather than letting doubts win, he says, trust in the Lord. Trust the Lord. You know what that means? That means lean on him. It means know that you can count on him. He says, rather than letting doubts reek and just kind of reign in your life, trust the Lord. Like really, try, like really lean into him and know that you can count on him. Let me ask you just a few questions. Do you believe that God is faithful? Do you believe that God loves you no matter what? That didn't get near as much answer. Do you believe God loves you no matter what? Do you believe that God is for you, not against you? Why in the world would we not trust him? If we really believe that, Rather than letting doubts reign and rule in our heart, we need to learn to trust him, to lean on him, and to know that we can count on him. He says, he says, trust in the Lord, but then he says, also, do this. He says, also, do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. That phrase, do good, just simply means this. It means choose to do what's right, even when you don't feel like it. Choose to do what is right. Not you're right, but God's right. Choose to do what's right in the Lord's eyes, even when you don't Feel like it. In other words, continue to live in such a way that is honoring and pleasing the Lord. Question. When you get loaded down in doubt, do you feel like doing the right thing? Or all you want to know is what? The answer to your doubts. God, why? God, why? And most of us, when we go through difficult times, that's always the question that resonates in our, God, why did you let this happen? God, why it's going on here? God, why, 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 why? Listen, even when you don't feel it, do what's right. Now, you may say, well, that's terrible advice. Well, it's biblical advice, isn't it? I can't tell you the number of married couples I have counseled with over the 31 years of my ministry where I've said, listen, I know right now your marriage is doing this right now because, listen, if you've been married for any period of time, haven't you experienced moments like this? Mm -hmm. Come on, haven't you? Yes. If not, your spouse is thinking yes. Okay, so we've all experienced those moments, right? And here's what I tell married couples all the time. Choose to do what is right and ask God to help your heart catch up. Because right is right, isn't it? Right is truth. Emotions are fleeting. So, God, I I want you to give me the strength to do what's right and ask my heart to catch up. And that's what he's saying here. In the face of all the doubts you have, first of all, trust the Lord. You can count on him and then choose to do what's right. Choose to do what's right, even if you don't feel it. Continue to live a life that pleases the Lord. And then he says, I want you to make sure that you dwell on the land. Now that seems like, okay, how does that relate to us? Well, what he's saying, he's speaking to Israel. He's saying, listen, you're so consumed with the wickedness of the world that you're, you're basically ready to throw in the towel and run you're ready to flee. Like, okay, I'm getting out of the land. There's no need for me to be here. I mean, I see all this wickedness. I see all these other people prospering. God, I am done. Throw in the towel, drop the mic. I'm walking away. He's like, listen, if there's ever time for you to stand up for your faith, it's now. Every time for you to stand up and be counted as someone who loves and going to live for me, It's now. So when he says, I want you to dwell in the land, to Israel he's saying, I don't want you to jump ship. But for you and I, it may not be the idea of seeing the wickedness around us that makes us want to jump ship, but the idea of the circumstances around us. Some of us have gone through some stuff. And as we go through that stuff, isn't it really easy to grab the white flag and just surrender and go, I'm done? I don't know about you, but if you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably experienced that. You've gone through something maybe in your life that was catastrophic and you're like, I want to wash my hands. I'm just what? I'm done. He says, listen, trust in the Lord. Do what's right even when you don't feel like it. And listen, stand firm in your faith. Dwell in the land. Don't flee. Don't isolate. Don't hide. But stand strong. And then he says, basically, once we do all those things, if we trust the Lord, if we do what's good, if we choose to stay and stand strong for the Lord, he says, last of all, I want you to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, find all that you're looking for in him. Here's a really good question to ask yourself every morning you get up. Am I going to delight myself in the Lord this morning? Am I going to find delight in the Lord? In other words, am I going to find satisfaction, not in the things of this world, but I'm going to find satisfaction in my relationship with him? Because I don't know about you, but the world could fall apart around me, and it weighs on me, and it's difficult. But when you get alone with the Lord, you can still find delight on a horrible day. got to say there's a lot of Mondays. It seemed to be that kind of day for me. Anybody else like that? And it's not because it's Monday. Just Monday's filled with a lot of stuff, a lot of junk going on. But there's sometimes that, man, I'm just telling you on Mondays, I'm like, man, I'm just fed up. I'm done. I'm at the end of the road. And then I'll be, you know, I go to my men's group on Monday and we talk about the Lord. We talk about his word. We pray for one another. And all of a sudden I have delight in the Lord. Right? He says, listen, once you trust me, When you choose to do what's good, when you decide to stand up and stand strong for me, then and only then, I want you to make sure you delight yourself in the Lord. I want you to find out that he is enough. He's sufficient for your grief. He is sufficient to handle your doubts. He is enough. We don't say that enough around here, but he is enough. Whatever you're looking for, the answer is always what? It's Jesus. He is enough. And when we delight ourselves in the Lord, look what he says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, to the evil, wicked heart in the room today, let me say that that doesn't mean what you think it means. It doesn't mean, okay, if I delight myself in the Lord, the red Ferrari is waiting outside on me. No, 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 that's not what it means. When I delight myself in the Lord, that means my desires align with his desires, Right? So my delighting is in that he's enough, and what he wants for me, what his plan is, what his desire is, that's my plan. That's my desire. That's what I want for my own life. And I'm just telling you, if we are going to build intimacy with the Lord, we must surrender our doubts and begin to delight in the Lord. Let me give you a third thing here in verse 5 and 6. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as light and your justice as the noonday. The third thing that we need to surrender is our cares and our desires. We need to surrender our grief. We need to surrender our doubts. But we need to surrender our cares and our desires. Did you pick up on what he said there? First thing was commit your way to the Lord. You know what that means? That means I'm going to take my cares, my desires, and I'm going to lay them before the Lord. And I'm going to ask for his counsel. I'm going to ask for his wisdom, but he listen to me. I'm going to ask for his counsel and his wisdom, but then I'm going to yield to his leadership. See, to commit my way to the Lord is going, God, you know my heart. You know what I'm desiring. You know what I'm caring about. You know what's going on. Here's my cares. Here's my desires. God, I'm going to lay them before you. I need your counsel. I need your wisdom. I need your direction. And I'm going to yield to your leadership. That's what it means to commit our way to the Lord. Now, We've all done that. We all know what that feels like, especially if you're a parent. If, you, if you're a parent and, and you had a kid that has gone through elementary school and there was somebody picking on him or her, and as a parent, you like, okay. Like I know for me, like, you know, there's some times that maybe somebody was picking on one of my boys and I thought, okay, I'm going to show up to school, right, and I'm going to find that punk kid, right? And I'm going to bend him over my knee and I'm going to give them a whooping, right? You know what I'm talking about. So that's my desire. That's my care. I lay it before the Lord, and Lord reminds me that i will put you in jail, Doug. Let's not do that. Right? Let's not, let's not do that. But let's make sure we make sure we love God and let's love some people. Let's show them some grace. Okay, Lord. I'll yield to your leadership. I don't want to. I sure would feel good giving that kid a whooping. But at the end of the day, Lord, your will, not my will. See, that's what it means to commit to the Lord. He says, commit to the Lord. And then he says, and he will act. I love that. In other words, when, when, when you commit your way to the Lord, when you say, God, here's my heart. Here's what I want to do. Here's my desire. But God, you give me wisdom. You give me guides. And I'm going I'm to surrender and, and follow your leadership. I'm going to yield to your leadership. He says, then he'll act. In other words, then he'll intervene. And he'll promote and he'll exalt us. Look what he says here. He says, uh, he will bring forth your righteousness as light and your justice as a noonday. In other words, he will put your character on display. When he says bring forth your righteousness, in other words, he's saying, I'm going to put your your character on display for the world to see. There's probably nobody that understands that anymore than the the Floridian and Gator fan, uh, Tim Tebow, right? When he went pro, did he go through some stuff? Man, everybody was trying to tear him down for his faith. But you know what? Through that, did God put his character on display? Man, he's reached thousands upon. I mean, let's say he'd gone to the NFL and been this incredible quarterback. And somebody's like, well, he was. Well, okay, maybe a couple games. But anyway, this incredible quarterback who went to the Hall of Fame was incredible. I mean, he had more impact through his persecution than he ever would have through his success. And God put his character on display. And if you ever ask the question, can you name me one professional athlete that seems to be the real deal? What's the first name, especially if you're from Florida, that pops into your mind? Tim Tebow. He put his character on display. But not only that, he says, and your justice as the noonday, meaning not only am I going to put your character on display, I'm going to promote your character. I want the world to see that you stood up for me. I want the world to see that you love me and you've lived for me and you've made decisions based on that passion for me. I want the world to see what it means to love and to live for me. In fact, if you go back to the Old Testament, Daniel fit that. Daniel in the Old Testament was a guy who was sharp. He was intelligent. He moved up the ladder in a foreign country. And when the people tried to come against him, I love this, Daniel chapter six, people tried to come against him and they tried to find dirt on Daniel. And it says this in Daniel chapter six, and they could find nothing, against him. Nothing. That word nothing means nothing. They looked into every closet trying to find any skill they could and their conclusion was we can find nothing against him. His character was on display and God promoted his character so all the world could see. This is what faithfulness looks like. Look at Daniel. See, listen. If we will make sure that we lay our cares before the Lord and we commit to the Lord He will act. We must first surrender our cares and our desires to the Lord. The last thing as we close. One more thing we need to surrender to the Lord. Our grief, our doubts, our cares and desires. Verse 7, it says this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. Listen, the last thing that we need to surrender is our agendas. We need to surrender our agendas. Here's what I mean when you and I see injustices in the world, what's our first inclination? Come on, what's your first inclination? If you were, walk out this door and you go to Publix and you're going to the grocery store and you see a man who grabs the purse of a woman walking out of Publix, what is your first inclination, Nick? Go get him, right? Just sick him, right? I mean, that's our first inclination. And when things happen to us in the world, if your answer was run, I'm not asking you, okay? So the idea is that we, like, we tend to go after things, right? So our inclination when we see injustices is to do something about it. But you notice what he said here? He said, I want you to be still with the Lord. See, in other words, there's so many of us, when we see the injustices going on around us, we become overly distraught, we become overly angry, we become overly vengeful. And when we act out of anger, when we act out of wrath, when we act out of evil, did you pick up what he says? He says, it tends only to evil. So when you and I act out of anger, and we act out of wrath, and we act out of vengeance, it always comes from an evil place in us. It does not come from a godly spirit. It comes from an ungodly spirit. So here's what he says. When you see the injustice around you, here's what I want you to do. Here's how you surrender your agendas. You ready? Be still. Be still. Some of you have a problem being still, don't you? I can tell because you're like halfway off your seat. I mean, you're squirming, and you're like all over the place, Right? The idea of being still is this, that when I experience the injustice around me, my first go-to is the Lord. I'm going to be still and what? Know that he is God. Right? I'm going to be still. Instead of me immediately going after the guy, or immediately going after the injustice, I'm going to go to the Lord. And then he says, wait on the Lord. So be still, but then he says, I want you to wait on the Lord. Notice, I want you to be content to know that God has got this. Now, I'm telling you, this is where Doug struggles. I mean, I, I, you know, the idea of being still, mm, a little bit with that one, but okay, Lord, I'm coming to you. But this idea of waiting on the Lord and being content that God is in control and whatever's going on, God's got it. Man, I wrestle with that because I'm a fix-it guy. Anybody else a fix-it person? I mean, I want to fix it immediately. And what I find out is I never really fix it immediately. Sometimes I make it much worse. And when we experience the injustice in the world, he's like, I want you to stop, pause, pause. Be still. Come to me with it. Wait on me. Just be content to know that I got this. I got it. And then he says, <coughs> he says refrain from anger and forsake wrath. In other words, when you experience the injustice, don't don't go after with anger and wrath. Don't go at it from an evil perspective. And then he ends with, be still, wait, refrain. And then he says it again. Wait. Why can we wait? Listen, why can we wait on the Lord? Because he has the final word. I don't know about you, but my oldest son, if he was here, he would say amen to this. My oldest son, um, James, always loved having the last word. Anybody got a kid like that or I had a kid like that or you were that kid? You know what I'm talking about? And like he, James, I'll be talking and James, I need you to this. Okay, Dad. I said, James, you don't have to have the last word. I'm not. <laughs> you just did, you know. And so you know what I'm talking about, right? Listen, the reason we can wait on the Lord, he does have the last word. He gets to decide all things. So when we experience injustice, listen, one thing that we've got to surrender is our agendas, how we want to respond to the situation. Say, Lord, you know my heart. You know how I want to respond, but I'm just going to be still. I'm going to to bring it to you, Lord. I'm going to wait, Lord, because I'm going to be content that you're in control. God, I'm going to refrain from acting out of anger and wrath and vengeance. And Lord, I'm going to wait. You know why? Because you have the last word. Now, I just want to tell you this morning, as we close, I just want to tell you this. If we are going to build intimacy with the Lord, these are areas that we've got to surrender. We've got to surrender our grief. We've got to surrender our doubts. We've got to surrender our cares and desires. And we've got to surrender our agenda if we want to build intimacy with him. So which one of these areas are you struggling today? So right now, I just want you to do this. With every head bowed and right closed, nobody's looking around. Every, every head bowed. In your eye closed, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. This morning, if you feel like, hey, Doug, I'm struggling with grief. And it doesn't have to be grief of the injustice around you, but just grief in your heart with life that's happened. If you're wrestling with grief this morning, would you just put your hand up and ride back down? I'm just going to be praying for you, so many of you. Man, if you're struggling with some doubts this morning, you've got some questions you got some uncertainties. Would you just put your hand up and put it right back down? If you're struggling with your cares and desires, and you got a place where you're like, okay, Lord, here's where I'm at. I need to find that delight in you. If that's you, would you just raise your hand up? Or maybe you like Doug this morning. And you have a clear agenda for how you want to do things. And you want to take the step of courage to surrender that agenda. And let it go and say, God, I'm going I'm to be still. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to be content that you've got it. And I can wait, Lord, because I know that you have the last word. If that's you this morning and you need to surrender your agendas, would you put your hand up this morning? And then one more group. There's one more surrender that trumps all the ones I just mentioned. And it's the surrender of your life. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus. You heard me say it a while ago, he is the answer to your question. Well, I'm looking for someone to bring me hope, it's Jesus. I'm looking for someone to bring me peace, it's Jesus. I'm looking for someone to bring me comfort, it is Jesus. I'm looking for someone to give me salvation so that when I leave this world, I know that I'm going to be an eternity with a Heavenly Father. It's Jesus. He is the answer. And if today you need to surrender your life for the first time and trust Him as your Lord and Savior, would you just slip your hand up and ride back down? No one's looking around? Now, right now, just everybody stand with me if you would. Everybody stand. I want you to look this way before I pray. So many hands went up for all four of those areas. And the question I have for you this morning is, what are you going to do about it? If it's grief, are you going to surrender it? If it's doubts, are you going to surrender those? If it's your agenda or your cares or desires, what are you going to do? Because listen, many of you are going to leave this morning and have the same junk you're carrying with you as you do right now. Do you want to carry it the next week with you? Man, I hope not. And I'm just asking you this morning, those of you that are followers of Jesus, He loves you. He cares for you. And we are called to cast our cares on Him. And today's the day that you can do that. If we're going to build intimacy with our Heavenly Father, it begins by praying prayers of surrender of our grief, our doubts, our agenda, and our cares and desires. And will you do that? This morning, if you need somebody to pray with you, Jason and Kelly will be right over here. And Don and Terry will be right over here. If you need somebody to pray with you, or if you want to come to this altar, feel free to come to the altar. But however the Lord's moving in your heart this morning, would you just be faithful to surrender some things? God, we love you. I thank you for this passage. God, I'm so moved by what you say to Israel. I'm so moved by what you said through David here. God, I so live there. I let the things of the world cause me to get distraught. Other things of the world cause me to get angry and, and uprise. I let the things of the world, Lord, quite frankly, cause me to struggle with envy sometimes. But God, I pray for all of us in the room, including this guy, that we would ask, what is that one area? What is that one thing that we are carrying that we need to surrender this morning? And I know for some, it is their grief. The pain of that grief, and they need to give it over to you. For others, Lord, it is their doubts, it's their concerns, it's their uncertainty. And today they just say, Lord, I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna do what's right, and I'm gonna delight in you this morning. For others, Lord, it is letting go of their cares and desires and committing their way to you. But for some, Lord, like me, it's about our agendas. It's about seeing what we think is a clear path and getting after it instead of pausing and being still before you. God, for some of us today, we just need to be still and know that you are God. Be still and know that you're in control. Be still and know that you have a plan and that you will have the last word. So God, wherever we find ourselves today, would you do a work in our hearts? Would you do a work in our lives this morning? We love you, Lord. Which in your precious in your Holy Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you need to come to the altar, it's here. If you want prayer, right over there behind the curtain, Jason and Kelly over there, love to pray with you. But however the Lord is moving in your heart this morning, would you be faithful to respond to the Lord as we continue to worship?